Hi, and welcome to the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson, the podcast designed to give you all the financial advice you'll ever need. This is episode 91, where in a moment, we look at financial planning for women. That's today's show topic, and it's on the way in just a moment. But please bear in mind, if you have a general financial query, you're in the right place because we have an enormous resource of free advice right here. And you can access all of that simply through delving into our back catalogue of shows. In our programmes today, we featured loads of stuff, pensions, investing, life insurance, and loads more, you name it. We've done it. And last week, we looked at pensions for higher rate taxpayers. Remember, we can drill down and focus on pretty much anything forensically. Find the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts, and you'll get us there. As I say, an enormous resource, all available for free. Find our previous shows after listening to this one and have a binge on what you need. While you're there, if you could rate and review us, for instance, you could tell us what we need to address to help you out and follow the show. Then that way you'll get that episode when we record it next time. I'm John Mellis. With me as always, the start of our show, it's Phil Anderson. Hi, Phil. Hi, John. How are you? Good, thank you. Now, we've been very lucky in so much as we've got a guest expert on for a couple of episodes of the podcast. Claire Moffat from Royal London uh, gave us the benefit of her knowledge and experience last time when we discussed pensions for higher rate taxpayers. And I'm delighted to say she's back with us for this subject, financial planning for women. Thanks for coming on again, Claire. Just by way of recap, perhaps you could remind us of your your own career history and, and that of Royal London. Yeah, great. Thank you for having me on again. Um, so I've been with Royal London for four years. and what I do is kind of explain the complexities of pensions and it is quite a complex topic. I started off as a pensions lawyer and then I decided to move into um, working in insurance companies and I, I really love the fact that I get to talk about pensions and to a variety of different people, to financial advisors. I you know, talk to the public, I'll write articles, and we can really think about different issues that are impacting people. So I talk about some consumer finance issues um, too. So I don't talk about Royal London products at all. So it's more about kind of the detail of how all of these things work. Uh, Phil, being typical thoughtless males, we, we probably really considered, well, anything from a female viewpoint, far less dialed in in financial planning for women as a specialist subject. So it's just as well clear as here to keep us right. Just to give me a broad idea, though, where are some of the differences going to be when it comes to financial planning for women? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say some things are important regardless of your sex. However, th- there's several things for me that stand out for, for women. The, the first one I would say is that women on average live longer than men. So that means things like they, they would really need a larger pension pot because they're going to be retired for, for longer on average, if, if you're looking at that that statistics and they're also more likely to have pension gaps because women will often maybe take time off to have children they may have to take time off working during things like the the menopause so there's quite a number of factors another one as well as pay inequality that there's been a lot of that in the news lately and the the sort of gender pay gap is is more likely to impact on on women as well so that's a, another area and then that another thing Another kind of difference is that comes with, with what's called critical illness cover. That was something we covered in the podcast just a, a few weeks ago. But one in four women are, are likely to suffer a critical illness before the age of 65. I think for men, it's the, the statistics about one in five males. So I, although women have got an advantage over men in that they'll, on average, they'll live longer, 
they are more likely to suffer a critical illness, things like cancer or be diagnosed with, with that. So a lot of different things to, to take into account when we're looking at financial planning for women as opposed to, to a man. There's no doubt in my mind, Claire, that, that women are having to run a lot of the hard yards and workplaces just to get anywhere near being on an equal footing. And I'm just thinking there, one of the things in the last few years, in a, a lot of the companies that I work with, there's been an increasing move to, to get more women onto the, the board of directors, that sort of thing. And I, I'm just wondering if there'll be people sat around that table saying, well, we can put women on. And that means, you know, we'll pay less. I, I genuinely wouldn't be surprised if there are dinosaurs that think like that. But Phil and I could talk about this all day, but we'll only come off as patronising, whether we're well-intentioned or otherwise. Phil's detailed a few things there. Doubtless there are loads more. Explain to us, please, why financial planning for women is a hugely important and specific area in and of itself. So I think fundamentally, men and women are different. And a lot of products and services were aimed at men because they were traditionally the people who were working and, and times have changed. Now, the same life events might happen to, to both men and women, but there are some things like pregnancy or the menopause that, that are only going to happen to women. And, you know, statistically, as mentioned, it's normally women who give up work or reduce their hours when they have children or, or look after elderly relatives or even grandchildren as well. So when we look at men and women in their 20s, pension saving looks about the same and other savings as well. But as soon as we look at people in their 30s, there starts to be this difference, not just in kind of saving, but also in what people are getting as well. So there's that gender pay gap, but that means there's going to be another gap as well. So from a pensions point of view, automatically putting employees into a pension has made a huge impact. So we've had 10 years of auto-enrolment and we've got more people than ever with a pension, which that's so that's great news. But we do need to see pension contributions being calculated from the first pound earned because that will boost the number of people saving into workplace pension schemes and it will increase the amount being paid in, especially for lower earners. Now, women often are lower earners, they go part-time. They're also more likely to have a couple of lower paid jobs and that means that they might not be put into a pension scheme they might have enough in total earnings that they would have been put into a workplace pension but because they've got jobs for different employers then they don't I'm really glad that you mentioned the, the menopause though and I'm not just saying that as someone who's like in her mid-40s but I think I'm glad that we can have this this conversation about the impact of this now because this was something that people just struggled with women just thought you just had to get on with it and there was a program out recently with Davina McCall and she was um, there was a lot of research done for that program and they found that 10% of women leave work during the menopause and 14% go part-time now at Royal London, about three years ago, we had a periods of menopause group set up and all managers now have to undergo training on this. And it's really interesting because actually some of the most positive comments have been from male managers saying, I'm really glad I can understand now what my daughter's going through, or what my wife's going to go through. I, I can see some of the, the symptoms. But that programme said only 10% of employers are in that space where they're talking about it. And we need to be helping women in the workplace so they don't feel that they've got to leave or reduce their hours because actually that's having an impact as you know people reducing or leaving their job when they have children, for example, has an impact, which means they'll have less in retirement and it could also have an impact on their state pension as well. So, you know, as Phil mentioned, women live for longer, but they could be a lot poorer in retirement because of things that have happened to them. 
Yeah, I mean, of the items that, that both yourself and Phil have highlighted, one of the, the main things influencing female finance is life events. Perhaps pension gaps because of a career break to raise kids, although there's no reason why that can't be done. I should just point that out. Another one, I suppose, is the possibility of a, a relationship breaking up, resulting in divorce. What sort of impact can that have on finances, specifically from a woman's point of view? So we know that women in retirement have a lot less than men in general. And so that's a fact. And they live longer, as we've mentioned. But women who've been divorced will have even less in retirement. So it's going to be a really tough retirement if you've gone through a divorce and you're female statistically. Now, going through a divorce is a really expensive time. And um, especially where one person has more pension assets. And, and bear in mind, the pension can all I mean, often be the second largest asset compared to a house, or if the divorce is later in life, then it could actually be the, late, the largest asset. But it's really important to get financial advice. Now, it often seems cheaper and easier to carve up the assets. And what often happens is the house will go to the female and the pension will go to the male. Perhaps, you know, it's, it's their pension and they really want to keep it. Often the female, perhaps if they have, you know, reduced their hours, they've got children, then they quite often want the house. Now, I get that. I'm a mom of three. I wouldn't want my kids to have to move. But I know that that's not the best thing longer term, that having a house when you're in retirement, you might be able to downsize, but it's not going to fill an income gap. And you might not be able to sell it when you need to sell it. It might not, you know, moving from a four to a three bedroom house or a three to a two bedroom house isn't going to give you enough to live on in retirement, um, probably. Now, the law in England and Wales recently changed um, in relation to divorce in April. And there's something called the no-fault divorce now. And also it can happen a bit quicker in England and, and Wales um, now. But I'd really make the point that don't ignore financial assets when you're trying to sort out a divorce and perhaps want to do it sooner. It's a really tricky time and both parties are, are having to deal with the kind of emotional and financial side of it. But getting financial advice at that point in time can be worth its weight in gold. The solicitors dealing with the divorce are thinking about the divorce and they're thinking about the net, you know, now what's happening. Financial advisors are going to look at the rest of your life and see what needs to happen. And, you know, it's, it is that thinking about what you'll need in retirement and what's better um, to help you out. But I would give a bit of a word of warning as well. So divorce rates are going down and that's because marriage is going down. So there are people who aren't married and they cohabit and the rules of divorce don't apply in that situation. So you could have a scenario where a couple have been together for 20 years, say one's given up, maybe reduced hours to, to care for children and then they split up. Well, they could be left with literally nothing. So I think it's important to think about um, kind of divorce, but it's also important to think about cohabitees because we know that more and more people are choosing to cohabit. We have in the past, from my increasingly faltering memory, recorded an episode on pensions and divorce, haven't we, Phil? Yeah, episode 54 was one that we did on, on pensions and divorce. And one good thing with all the podcasts is, you can go back and listen to the ones that are, are relevant to you. So if someone was in that situation, they might think, right, look up episode 54. And on that podcast, we looked at things like pension sharing, earmarking, offsetting. And, and the thing I remember most about that podcast was there, there was a stat from, I think it was legal in general. Mm. And it said that only 3% of people seek financial advice as part of their divorce, which I just think is just 
mind-boggling. I, I kind of believe that it's so low. Well, the, the, the thing with it is as well, you know, at a time where you are going through or up and down on an emotional roller coaster, to try and think of, of being sort of calculating and, and anywhere near financially savvy, it's just, it's an extra, you're hampered, aren't you? It's, it's even worse than just if you were sitting yeah. there normally and just try to work things out in a piece of paper with a pen. Phil pointed out to me before recording today, women are also more likely to take time off to care for elderly relatives than men. Genuine question, Claire. I mean, the only thing I would ask you to bear in mind before answering is that we haven't ticked the explicit content box um, when registering our podcast. We don't want to have to dip into it now, 90 episodes in. But genuinely, with reference to all of this stuff, women traditionally taking career breaks to raise kids, women being the ones more likely to take time off to look after elderly relatives, and impacting severely on their finances in addition to everything else, like their general health and well-being, what simple message would you ask men to take on board about it, that, that we could do that stuff too, or instead, or share the burden a bit more? So from a purely personal point of view, I think sharing the, the burden is important. And, you know, from, from my own point of view, that my husband worked shifts and I worked when my children were a little bit younger. I worked full time over four days. We were around quite a lot, but we shared childcare, we shared doing jobs. And, you know, when you're both working, I think that's that's really important. But even if both people aren't working, kind of sharing responsibility um, is important. We know um, that research during the pandemic showed that women were working from home, but they were also picking up more household responsibilities. So I think we need to be careful that that's not a new norm, that actually kind of, you know, couples are sharing responsibilities as well. But I, I don't think I'm qualified to t- tell people really how to organise their lives. I think that's for, for everyone to think about. But if we're thinking about pensions and finance, what I would say is if you're in a couple and you're thinking about having children, or even if you're not um, having children, think as a couple when you're, you know, dealing with money, talk about money. Lots of people in this country don't talk about money even to each other. And especially before children come along, have a think about money and the impact that might have on careers. And and don't let one person bear the brunt of the expenses of children, actually financial expenses. I've seen friends where they work part-time, but they're still paying the childcare costs. And, you know, think about it as a couple, but also about kind of career-wise. So, if you've got one person who's going to go part time, what's the long term impact of that? And also think about it from a tax efficiency point of view. So if both people are higher rate taxpayers, for example, would it actually be better if both reduced their hours a little and maybe became not higher rate taxpayers um, rather than one person stopping work and one carrying on work? Now, I think women often want to be the main carer. But as I mentioned, my husband and I share the, the child care and, and I think we find it a positive experience. I'm not sure when I went back with um after the second was born and left him with a not quite two-year-old and a six-month-old, he would have said that was positive at that point in time. But I think he's got, you know, his relationship with the kids is different because he was caring for them by um, himself. I'd also say claim everything that you're entitled to. And lots of people aren't claiming all the tax-free um, child care they're entitled to. And think about the future, think about retirement. Now a lot of the time we think it's really far off and, um, you know, you're thinking about having children. Why would you be thinking about the future? But it's worth looking at something like the Retirement Living Standards website, because that really will help you picture retirement. And this is independent research that's been done. 
and it shows what different amounts in a pension would be able to buy you. And it talks about a minimum, a moderate and a comfortable retirement. And it will say things like the number of holidays you can go on, how often if you, you, you could replace your car. You, if you're on the minimum, then actually you couldn't really financially afford to have a car. So thinking about that earlier as a couple will really help because it's got the figures for individuals and for a couple. And also decisions you make earlier in life will have an impact because the sooner you start saving into a pension, for example, the better it is. And we ran some, some numbers at work. And to give you the moderate income for an individual, which is £20,800, if you started saving at age 22 and you were thinking of retiring at 66, then you're looking at only at saving much less than if you're kind of at 40. So the difference is you're looking at kind of £340 a month rather than £660 a month. Um, and it just gets more and more. And that moderate retirement, you know, that's kind of maybe a few breaks in the UK, maybe redecorating a room a year. It's nothing extravagant. So, you know, have a look at the retirement living standards, have a think about the cost of delaying paying into a pension and, you know, just have a think of what you would want to do in your retirement. Because I think often we look at our parents or grandparents who retired with those different types of pension where they kind of almost get, you know, a set income every year. And we think that that's what, what our retirement will be like. I know I've been fortunate to have um, four very long living grandparents too still going strong. And they, you know, have really had great retirements, but now we have to save for, for that retirement. So it's important to think about it. I know you said you, you don't want to be, um, you know, known as a person who is recommending how other people live. And this is possibly a bit unfair in me asking as well. But do you think in terms of women's finances that perhaps government could do more in terms of legislation to help out? Um, so it's interesting, isn't it? I think you look at some other countries and um, so, for example, my brother lives in Sweden and in Sweden they have much longer um I think you have a year and a half off in total and I think you receive most of your pay. So what happens is normally the mums take the first nine months off, the dads take the second nine months off. Now, that was a, a, they clearly did that to get equality. So it was really to drive equality between men and women. And they also have very cheap childcare. And I think, you know, when you look at cost of childcare, the UK is kind of way up there mm. in the cost of childcare. So, you know, I think... I don't really want to kind of comment on what you know the government should and shouldn't be doing but it's very difficult for people often people's you know one person will stop working because it's not cost effective for them to work and again you know I've had friends in this situation now some of them have sort of said actually we're just going to have to take the hit because we no longer term we've got a good job or we can go part-time from our job whereas finding a part-time job when your children go to school for example is quite tricky so we're going to take the hit but it, it is difficult because for some people you know we don't want to work for nothing we want mm. to work and feel like we're getting paid for it but it's hard if we're paying a lot of money in childcare and, and actually the cost of living crisis isn't going to help that nurseries have got to be heated you know fees have got to go up so yeah it, it is tricky and yeah I think I think it's difficult when we look at it from a, a kind of legislative point of view about what could we do to achieve different things and I think we also have to remember we might look at different countries but you know it's 
it's kind of a different scenario here. Yeah, I wish that in this one. Yeah, how do you set yourself up then? So your your finances are, are more robust and potentially equipped to tackle anything life may throw at you as a woman. And I'm thinking here, you know, if these statistics are true about the idea of perhaps having additional private pensions in place, if you can afford to make payments whilst not working or maybe paying more attention to income protection or insurances of some kind to bolster yourself in, in the event of being able to work as much for, for whatever reason. Are, are these areas of financial planning that women should potentially place more precedence in? And if not, what is? What am I missing? Well, I think, you know, as I mentioned, male or female, we need to be thinking about our future as well as our our present. And, you know, I mentioned the cost of living crisis. Now, that's having a huge impact, you know, across all age groups and earnings. But I also mentioned the fact that although that's a crisis now, it could have even more of an impact in 10, 15, 20, even 30 years time. Now, if women aren't working or whoever, if there's a stay at home parent and they're not working, then think about paying that um, £3,600 a year that you can pay into a private pension. You know, that's what you're limited to if you're not working at all. So even if there is a stay-at-home parent, then think about paying something in pension contributions. But also think about if there's a stay-at-home parent, what would happen if they were ill or died? How, you know, what would the scenario be? How would those children be looked after? And I think that people often think about life insurance when they take out a mortgage, but they don't look at the fact that there's more chance that you'll be off sick. So how would how would a family manage? It's thinking about kind of the risk, what's the risk of it happening? And Phil mentioned about, you know, critical illness, more women claiming on critical illness, but it's the same for income protection. So that's when your kind of income is replaced and you can get that for stay-at-home parents as well. So, but even for people who you know, perhaps are both working, you know, th- think about that. Think about what's the risk that that could happen and, and actually what would happen to my family if I couldn't pay the mortgage or we're finding more and more people are renting and, you know, what would happen if you can't pay the rent? So, so I think it's important to think about planning for the future in retirement terms it's important to think about the future in sort of risk terms what would happen if this happened but I think that these are things that sometimes aren't thought about especially when there's a stay-at-home parent. One thing I'm finding that I was going to just bring up is that when it comes to financial advice over the years I've tended to find that most financial advisors tend to be male although that is kind of changing slightly now and I know at Phil Anderson Financial Services We've got several female advisors, which I'm, I'm really proud of. And one of the things I tend to find with the, the, the female advisors is that, I, I, in my experience, I tend to find they're maybe just a wee bit more empathetic. And also, because they've got a lot of shared experiences with women, do you think, Claire, that women not prefer dealing with a, a female advisor? But I know a lot of women like to deal with, with other women when it comes to things like that. Would you say that that's, would that be something you would kind of agree on? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? But I totally agree as a profession, you know, I'm used to going out speaking to large groups of financial advisors and there can be some times I go and it's 95% men and and often older men as well. So I think that we need to encourage more women and more younger people in general into profession. I think it's a, a great profession and, you know, I think that we just have to kind of articulate that a little bit better. I think a lot of men can be empathetic, but I think that often we like to talk to someone who's a bit like us, don't we? So it's just, you know, as people that, you know, we kind of think, oh, maybe they've got shared experiences. 
There was recent research that suggested that 70% of women change financial advisor on the death of their husband. Now, so we're looking at an older age group normally at this. Now, and it's interesting when you think about, well, why? Why is that happening? And there might be many reasons, but I wonder if some of that is due to the fact that they feel that advice has been directed towards the male. They might have gone as a couple, they might not, but, you know, I know when I think about my parents-in-law that I think, you know, he gets on very well with the advisor and my mother-in-law signs everything, but I think she probably thinks the advisor thinks she's stupid. I don't think that is the case, but I think that that could be her perception because she thinks she doesn't understand financial stuff. So maybe she would change because she would want to find someone who might understand maybe if she was getting upset about something she would think that maybe a woman would you know be able to kind of look after her a little bit better so there might be a generational thing there as well I think that advice is good on a family basis and, and that points to it so actually if you have really good relationships with the spouse and with children for example if you're an advisor then you've built up those relationships because then it means that when a death does happen, you've got someone you really trust and can help you at a really awful time. So you're not feeling like you don't understand what's going out on, you feel out of your depth. So, you know, I think that's important that it doesn't really matter if it's a man or a woman. I think it's about building really good relationships and, and you know, making sure that people do feel looked after but I do think having more female financial advisors is key I think it's a profession where you can you know sort of structure it a bit when you have a family Um, and I think you know certainly I've come across female advisors who see that they get a lot of clients who perhaps older ladies who you know are going through a divorce they've never had anything to do with the finances in the relationship and they really want to find a woman just because they're having this kind of awful time they've gone through this divorce they're vulnerable you know it's divorce death all of these situations make us all vulnerable because you know it's hard going through these things and they just want someone who they think probably understands their situation a bit better I think one of the important things for financial advisors is not to pigeonhole kind of women as well because you can't just assume that somebody's going to have kids or that they'll take a career break. So I think that's quite important. And another thing that I was looking at, there was a recent study not that long ago that showed that women tend to be more cautious investors than men when it comes to investing. And is that an issue for women And when it comes to things like that with their pensions, clear? It's interesting, isn't it? I think in general, lots of people don't understand how their pensions are invested. In fact, we did research probably last year that showed that people didn't know their pensions were invested at all. I'm not quite sure where they kind of thought it went, but they didn't understand that it was invested and it it would grow. So I think as an industry, we need to do a lot more and we need to get much better at explaining that, but also how risk works. So, you know, I see too many and I've had too many conversations with friends who just say, oh, yeah, I'm saving into a cash ISA because there's no risk involved. And I kind of go, well, you know, is that true? You know, if you kind of leave it in a cash ISA, it's not making any money. So I think sometimes people think there's a safe option and they're cautious and that's the route they would go down. But actually, it's kind of just about explaining it. So whether it's, you know, to men or women, and we see it when we did that research, we saw it was also kind of younger men and women that also struggled a bit. And I think, I think sometimes women 
I mean, we talk to our friends a lot. Well, I mean, I do. So, you know, and we kind of, I think sometimes you talk about different issues and then that will trigger an idea in someone's head. And then, you know, I always laugh and say that my friends weren't weren't interested in talking about pensions until about last year. And suddenly this is, you know, kind of, it's, it's become a bit more important, I think. But I think women often like to have kind of discussions with their friends. They like to kind of just mull over some ideas and then that they might sort of go, well, maybe I'll go and see a financial advisor. But so I think maybe if they've got all of the facts, what we've found is that maybe women aren't as cautious, but they just need more help at that kind of initial stage. Um, and certainly people who are younger, you know, men who are younger as well, it's helping that helping them kind of understand when they're younger and I think you know financial education in general is is key. We've spoken about this before haven't we Phil but actually having financial education in schools more and you know throughout education I just sorry did you say that my pension is invested I just thought it was locked in some vault like uh, Scrooge McDuck that it's just coins added and coins and coins and coins that's not how it works okay to learn something new every week Phil and Claire maybe you can summarize this a little bit for us with, with some tips to bear in mind when it comes to financial planning for women Phil first I would say like the tips from myself would be like one, take charge of your finances. Second tip I would say is look at paying into a pension as early as possible. I think that's really important for, for women. And the third one would be follow your plan. It's easy to become emotional with your investments, especially if markets go down, like at the minute they're up and down quite a lot just now. But investments for the long term, things like your pensions, that money is there for, for years to, to come provide for your future. So that, that would kind of be the, the tips for myself. But and anything you would add to that, Claire? I think they're great tips. The, the only other thing would, that I would add is, as I've mentioned, think on a family basis. You know, even if you're not working, what what do you need in terms of should you be paying into a pension? What should happen? And think about, you know, re- your retirement and savings in the future. Just briefly, uh, on the subject of state pensions, the retirement age for women, currently the same as men, isn't it? It's 66, I think. If women do have a career break, the amount of national insurance contributions that are paid can be impacted. So does that mean women get less of a state pension than men? And if so, can they plug those gaps with voluntary contributions? So state pension is really important. I think people forget, you know, that it's a real, you're not going to get it until you're 66, maybe 67. If you're younger, it could be older than that. But it's, you know, it's worth its weight in gold. It's money you're going to get every year and it's going to increase with, um, well, we've got the triple lock in place, but, you know, for this year, for example, it's going to increase by inflation. But women could potentially get less state pension. So if you've been caring for children, then you will get 12 years of national insurance credits per child. But you have to make sure that if you have got, so say you had two children and there's only a couple of years apart, then you're going to have 14 years of state pension credits, for example. If you still say you don't go back to work, then you're going to have a gap after that. So make sure that you plug any of these gaps. There's also something called carers national insurance credits and you get them for looking after grandchildren. So it could be that someone stops working or perhaps never went back to work and they're caring for grandchildren, then they can claim national insurance credits for those years as well. Now, not enough people claim that at all. So that's something that's key if you're going to be giving up work to, you know, and and again, statistically, it would normally be grandmothers that would see do this. So make sure you get them. 
I'd say for anyone over 45, check your state pension forecast. You need 35 years of national insurance credits to get the, the full state pension. You can fill those gaps by buying voluntary contributions. Normally, you can only buy them for the last six years, but we do have this time period up until April 2023 when you can actually plug gaps going back to 2006. So look up your state pension forecast, see if you've got any gaps, and it's well worth paying for it because you you don't need to live that long for it to have been a very good investment paying to top up your state pension. Good advice. Okay, Phil, let's get into the part of the show where you share a little bit of your own life story. What have you got regarding this one on financial planning for women? Yes, as I mentioned earlier, we've got several female advisors at at Phil Anderson Financial Services, and that's something that I'm really proud of. And it was something that I made a big effort to address several years back when I first started up. I think there, there was myself and a couple of male advisors, and I thought we really need to get female advisors in and our our youngest advisor is Emma she's only 22 but even though she's really young she's very knowledgeable she's got a great knowledge and she tends to get on really well with with probably younger females she's doing great kind of there but we've also got three female mortgage advisors and one of them Kaylee she I think Kaylee's in her late 20s but I mean she's she's almost finished her financial advisor diploma and I, I think it's great that women have got access to other women for financial advice. So that, that's something that I, I'm really proud of that, that we've got in my business here. And Phil, we always do this bit as well. You find inspiration through various folk you admire and you do love a quote. What have you got on the subject of today's show, financial planning for women? This one is from somebody, I think it's how it's pronounced, Otega Uwagba. Being financially literate is a powerful thing, especially for women. Now, Phil is really keen on trying to help you with your financial queries. If you want to email a question to us, please do. And as always, we can ask them anonymously if you wish. Let's get on to this week's contact details in just a moment. Uh, Hi, Phil. I've got a bit of cash to spare, and I'm looking to invest it somewhere to try and grow my wealth over time. I've heard when it comes to stocks and shares, experts tell you the best time to sell is just before you think they'll peak. I wonder, A, why that is, and B, how to know when that is. Thing I would say there, nobody can time the markets. I mean, markets go down, markets go up, markets go up and down kind of all the time. And investing should be seen as something for the long term. You're not trying to make a quick buck. That's speculating. But human nature kind of works like this. When something goes up, people want in on the action. So demand tends to increase at that point. And when things go down, people are often more cautious. But one thing I would say about now, I mean, when, when things are lower, that is a better time to invest than, say, earlier in the year when things were, were higher. But nobody knows. You you can't time it. And things could go down further. That's the thing. And they, they may well do. That's one of the great unknowns about kind of investing in, in stock markets. So it is, it's, it's impossible to, to time the markets. You want, What you want is your time in it, is, is what I would say there. Okay. This one is from Kirsty in Lechaber, who says, Hi, Phil. I've recently had my job reclassified to hybrid. So I'm working from home two days per week, which is great. However, I'm wondering if I have to change my household insurance or take out a separate type of insurance because I'm working from home. And also, if I do, whether that payment should be covered by my employer, as I was told my role was becoming hybrid, I didn't ask for it to be revised that way. 
I, I would speak, first of all, to your employer to see if things like work equipment is covered under their insurance policies, because if they've got something, it might be covered, even though you're at home, it, uh, it might still be, be covered under their policies. So I, I would check with them. And I mean, the insurers, in terms of your own kind of insurance, insurers do generally tend to like properties being occupied because it means there's less chance of being burgled for example. So they, they would generally tend to like that. But I would also double check with your current insurer just to see what their kind of take on things is as well. So probably a couple of checks that you, you want to do there. Okay. I would just say as well, before you get in touch with a question, you might want to take a look at our back catalogue because we've covered a lot of topics now and we might have touched on something you're interested in. I'm Joe Mellis. Thank you for joining us for the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson. And thank you as well, once again, to our guest, Claire Moffat from Royal London. If you feel you need a helping hand with anything we've been discussing or anything else of a monetary matter, find Phil for finance. Search Phil Anderson Financial Services online or join the Facebook group for the show. Search Personal Finance Community. That's Personal Finance Community on Facebook. Phil's on Twitter and LinkedIn too, or why not email Phil a question he can answer on a future show? His address is phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. That's phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. Send him your question, and like I say, Phil could be answering it in an upcoming podcast. And please be assured, we won't use your real name if that's what you prefer. Remember, if you found this useful, please rate and recommend us. And please follow us on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. That way you'll get us every week with the info you want when you need it. You'll get all the links you need on Phil's social media. Good luck with your money. Phil's doing his best to help make that cash go further. We'll see you next time. And thanks for listening. Thanks very much, John. And, and thanks again for, for coming on, Claire. You've been absolutely fantastic. Last week's show and, and this week's show is so knowledgeable. And it's been great to have you on the podcast. So thanks very much for, for coming on. I've really enjoyed it. 